Hey listeners, it's your host, Aisha. This episode that you're about to hear is frankly not for the faint of heart because it reaches new heights of the human voice, that is. John Holliday, an opera singer, talks about the countertenor voice specifically, uh, which, if you've never heard it, is going to absolutely knock your socks off. But he talks generally also about the gendering of the operatic voice and uh, how the opera world sort of embraces gender fluidity uh, in this unique way for the purpose of art. You're going to learn a lot, and you're going to like it. But if you do, make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe to us and rate us and review us. All right, that's it. Enjoy. My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So... Every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is John Holiday. John is a countertenor. He grew up in the Houston area, and he's worked with local arts groups like Ars Lyrica and Mercury, but he's in demand all over the U.S. these days. Uh, He'll, in fact, be performing at the Lincoln Center in July and at the Glimmerglass. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's right. The Glimmerglass Festival. That's correct. That's such a cool word. Glimmerglass Festival. It's really a great place, too. If you can ever come, you should come out. Well, and you're going to be at the Singapore International Festival, too, right? Yes, I will be, yes. And both in August. Yes. That's awesome. Well, John, welcome to the Classical Classroom. Thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. (laughs) So what are you going to be teaching me about today? Today we're going to be talking about, um, there's a lot of things, it seems, Um, The castrato voice, Uh uh, the countertenor voice, and trying to give a little brief history of of the different voice types in opera and how it, I guess, came to be. Yeah. Okay. This this is very exciting because I wanted to have you on the show after we had you on for um, another. We have this this Mm -hmm. thing called Skyline Sessions. Yes. And I heard your Skyline Sessions performance. And I was just blown away because Aww, it's like you. such, well, I mean, your voice is beautiful, but mm-hmm. I had also never heard that voice range before. Never. Countertenor. Okay. So so actually, let's start there. Can you mm-hmm. define what countertenor voice is? I want to be, you know, let's see. As a, as a countertenor, I'm going to tell you what I think it really is. As a countertenor, okay. the countertenor voice is a voice that is the highest male voice range in all of of the opera okay. that you're going to ever hear. It's kind of like, since I know you like rock and jazz, it's kind uh-huh. of like Frankie Lyman or it's kind of like Frankie Valley. Okay. You know, things yeah. like that. Those singers who sang like that, even a little bit of Michael Jackson when he would sing in his higher voice. Right. So that's really what the voice type is. It's basically a male mezzo soprano, usually an alto or someone who like me and some others can sing in the soprano range too. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what makes a countertenor voice different from is it is it just that it's a guy singing 
and and then you would call it something else if a woman was singing. I'm completely ignorant of this. So okay. How does that work? So the difference between let's just talk specifically about the male voice right now. Okay. Okay. Specifically, the difference between a countertenor. And a tenor or a baritone or a bass baritone is that it really is someone singing. A lot of the research says that a countertenor is singing in their falsetto voice, which means a fake voice or a false Mm. voice. And then there are some who sing it. It's their real voice. And you can tell that by the way they are ascending through a registration. And registration in opera or in singing is when a voice will either change the timbre the way it sounds as you're going up or it changes in timbre as it's going down. But if you can sing it in one registration, that's usually someone who is singing in their real voice. Um, People oftentimes refer to it as the head voice, you know, singing in the head voice, uh-huh. uh, and w- really exponentially higher than than the baritone and tenor voices, literally singing as in a female range. Mm-hmm. None of the other male voices do that. Um, the old contra can kind of be high like that, but not nearly as high as the countertenor. Yeah. And um, so it, that's really the difference. Okay. Now, in the female voice range, Um, you have a female voice called a contralto. And the contralto is someone who sings low in the female range. It's the lowest female voice. And they sometimes sing in the male range uh, of voice range. Interesting. And my best friend, in fact, is a contralto. So it's very funny. You know, here I am a (laughs) counter and she's a contralto. That's awesome. So, yeah. Well, so I would love to hear some examples of both of these kinds of voice. Um, Can we hear something in the countertenor range? Sure. Let's hear... um, David Daniels, who's a very, very good friend of mine, we're very, very close, and I have an enormous amount of respect for him as a countertenor and as a human being. He's just so kind, and we we really love each other. And I think in this clip he's singing Ombra Mai Fu from the opera Cerse by Handel. And it's this beautiful aria that's talking about surprisingly enough, the love and adoration that he has for a beautiful tree, that this tree provides such a beautiful shade to him. And in the recipe before, he says, nothing in the world, not storms, not the torrential rain has battered you. You've always stayed constant. And I just I, I thank you and love the love the shade that you have provided huh. to me. This is beautiful song. It's one of the most famous countertenor arias um, that is performed. Interesting. And it's to a tree. And it's to a tree. And it starts the opera. It's the very first aria that you hear. Huh. Yeah, let's hear it. beautiful voice. Yes, this is David singing in 1997 Man. at the Tuckers. Wow. I was also, I was interested in a term that you used while we were talking. Mm-hmm. You said head voice. And when mm-hmm. I was kind of briefly looking over these things mm-hmm. online, I noticed the, the term chest voice. Yes. Is that, so those are two different Oh, they are things. very different things. Chest voice to me is like the lowest of the voices that you would use uh-huh. and you have your middle or modal voices which which is which is where you normally kind of speak yeah and then your head voice is above that gotcha mm-hmm. okay i see and that's just talking about like 
how you're using your diaphragm, how you're using your vocal cords, exactly. that, that yes. kind of thing. The diaphragm is an important thing when it comes to breath because breath for every singer is the thing that fuels the singing. Right. Without breath, we can't sing. Yeah. And without the proper breath, you don't have a beautiful sound, a right. constant sound. Yeah. Especially like this beautiful held note that David sings here. He just sings ombra on a really long phrase. It requires lots of strength and lots of breath support. So I'm also interested in hearing the this the female voice that you were talking about the the contralto. Yeah, do okay. we do we have an example? I of have that? an example, but I didn't send one. Um, we could hear a very famous um, contralto. Her name is Eva Podles. Okay, um, and she, I mean, has one of the most gorgeous voices I have ever heard. And see, she has a really, uh, like a three-octave range, of, uh, apparently. It's really, it's crazy. Yeah. But I want you to hear how beautiful her her low notes are and how beautiful the high notes are. That's the thing that even for countertenors, it's a challenge. You have to have a beautiful consistency even in the low hmm. as you do in the high. And so oftentimes there are some of us, when we were starting to learn this, you have to refine that. You're learning to ref- refine yeah. the different uh, areas of the voice to make it one and uniform. Let's hear her sing uh, the La Cieca. Voce di donna from La Giaconda. And this is from 2005. hear the way that she's doing that it's just yeah she's going she's sort of lilting up and down that's that's the right kind of thing there's a buoyancy in all of our singing yeah and she's really exhibiting that well going into a lower chest voice yeah she kind of like back into into this beautiful beautiful uh, voice that she's got and of course the quintessential contralto especially for a lot of African-American singers, would be Marian Anderson, who, yeah. who is a very, very famous contralto. And sang only once at the Metropolitan Opera, but sang beautifully and championed the role that she did sing there so beautiful beautiful singer of art song anything that marianne anderson sang was beautiful yeah so she's just a a magnificent singer so this is this is amazing to me i mean these 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 voices 
are I don't know they're they're so unique and and they're so sort of um I don't know the gender fluidity yes in in the opera world I think is so fascinating how opera is just they're just like yeah this is uh this is what we do. It this happens is very... so much. Yeah. It really does. And I think a lot of that comes from, especially if we talk about the castrato and talk about yeah. the counterturn of voice, it comes from a time where people believed that women should not be singing, should not be singing roles. And I, be, uh, I think it has some, I can't remember specifically the Bible verse, uh-huh. but I think it may be like First Corinthians or something like that. But if that's not true, edit that out. Um, <laughs> I'll go look for but, it. But I think that uh, there is a verse in there that said they believe that women should be silent. Ah. Uh, a lot of the gender fluidity that we talk about in opera mm-hmm. comes from that. In the very beginning, a lot of women were not allowed to sing yeah. in opera. So you had castratos who sang. And um, really the castrato voice... There's a lot of history um, with castration, which we know is basically the removal of a man's testicles yeah. uh, before, or I should say a young teenager or a young male, before they would hit puberty, mm-hmm. their testicles would be removed yeah. in order to preserve their purity and uh, the the hormonal imbalance so they wouldn't change and have testosterone. And so a so, lot So of, they would maintain that, so that sort of young person's voice. Exactly. So yeah. that they would maintain the young person's vocal cords uh-huh. but would have the um, the bone and breath structure and apparatus of a male, yeah. of a man. Yeah. And a lot of times when the men or the young boys would be castrated, they would grow very long limbs and very large rib cages, which would uh, enable them to have an amazing amount of breath support. And so a lot of the singing came, a lot of that idea came from they were stronger and had more ability to sing longer phrases than women did mm-hmm. and could sing sometimes higher than, than women did. Wow. Um, so so Because it's like a boy's voice. A boy's voice. Uh, but, then, yeah. but then with the ability to have all of the... The, the anatomy like the, the power and the power yeah. of a male of a man as they got uh-huh. older yeah uh, and then you know I think there was a study that said about 40% of those men or young boys who were castrated did not become opera singers uh, a lot of them oh, no some of them sang in choruses which back in that time was a really big thing mm. especially in churches in, in Italy in the Catholic churches there were a lot of, of uh, castrati singing uh, until it was banned I believe even in 1861 when the Italian unification came to be it was banned but even then there were some um, castrati who stayed around and one of them is Alessandro Moreschi mm-hmm. who is what we refer to as the ultimo castrato which means the last castrato yeah. and in fact I think there may have been one or two after him but he was the only one for whom any recordings have been found and, and left behind. And he made recordings in 1902 and 1904. And I believe he was born in 1858 and he died in 1922. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the general consensus about his voice, and we'll hear some of the recordings here of him singing Ave Maria, which is a, a song composed by jo- Johann Sebastian Bach mm-hmm. and uh, Gounod. And uh, Bach was one of the composers of the Baroque period, which we 
refer to being from 1600, around 1600 to 1750. Um, so he's singing this, um, this song here, but a lot of people have said he sang past his prime. But in hearing this, it makes me wonder what um, Farinelli sounded like, right, who was one of, one of the most amazing castrati that they made a movie that about. They made a movie about. Yeah. Uh, and Senesino, who I was just researching him, of course, for this too, but knowing that he created 17 roles that Handel wrote for him, several of which I have sung. Handel wrote for him. Handel wrote specifically. for him. Specifically. Wow. A lot of, because Senesino was very famous too. Um, so it makes me wonder when we get ready to hear this clip, what those Kestrati sounded like. What did they sound like? It must have been amazing and some of this is going to sound you know to some people awful but to me <laughs> right. as a, as a countertenor it makes me wonder like oh my god to me i hear the beauty in the sound sure. and i hear the the intrigue in what you know the people in that time were looking for because we have to remember that castration of of boys and the singing of the castrados lasted from the middle of the 16th century to about the like like I said, 1860, 1860 so like the 19th yeah. century, middle uh-huh. of, or a little bit more than the middle of the 19th century. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's a really interesting point that you're, you're kind of touching on there, which is that the voice, the Castrati voice is, is beautiful and lovely, yes. but then it's got this sort of what could be seen as an inhumane yes. side to it. Yes. So it's like the 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 art of it is yes. is beautiful, but the Ugh. but the sort of human component there, yeah. the sacrifice that was made for was. art. And a lot was, of the and a lot of the castrati who did this, it was not because of them, but because of their parents. A lot of them came from very impoverished um families who sought to send their sons to be castrated because it was a better life for Mm. them. And so I did not include this clip either, but actually on YouTube there is the entire movie of Farinelli. It's an absolutely amazing movie to see Mm -hmm. the life of a castrati like Farinelli, who was extraordinary and extremely famous. But yeah, we can listen to Alessandro now, who was called the Angel of Rome. So if he was called the Angel of Rome, just imagine what these these castrati sounded like. And I love this song. This is one of the songs that I sing. It is. Like, it really is. And especially I think that a grown man is producing mm-hmm. that 
that voice. And that was toward the end of his life. That's 1902 or 1904. Wow. So if he's born in 58, I mean, that's almost 50 years. Oh, my you goodness. Know. Wow, that's amazing. What a voice. What a, what a like unique sound it is it's very i mean even when i was listening to it i thought oh it's so different it's mm-hmm. so different sounding than to what countertenors sound like today yeah. yeah um but there is you can i can hear there's an, a power to it even at that age in his in his life there is a power and strength to his singing yeah different than than mine would be or different than david's or any other modern 21st century countertenors would be right but there is still a beauty to it yeah and that was so poignant back then mm-hmm. so so interesting and beautiful to hear his voice and i i pay homage to him because without him i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to sing you know with him and the others that came before him i wouldn't have uh, music to sing So is, and okay. So did, and I'm not even sure quite how to phrase this question, but, but 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 um, <laughs> but did did uh, did counter tenors exist before the castrati came along? That practice came along, or or is is the counter tenor range something that people have aspired to to sort of replace that that voice? I think that it's probably the, that they've aspired to the voice to replace that voice type. Okay. Um, okay. And I and to be quite honest, I don't know. There may have been counter tenors that existed back then. I don't know. In my estimation, I believe that there probably would have been people around trying to imitate that voice. Right. So, but I'm sure that that term, I don't think that term came into existence until maybe the end of the 17th or beginning of the 18th century. Maybe, hmm. I mean, I might be making that up. So, But it's a term now that is definitely something that we as countertenors today are recreating those roles that Senesino and Farinelli did. Okay. Um, and and people like Alessandro. Alessandro did not sing opera. He specifically sang in the chorus at uh, Sistine Chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was highly regarded as one of the soloists there, but never sang opera. So that, too, makes me wonder what Senesino and Farinelli sounded like. Yeah. Their voices had to have been extraordinary and oh. so powerful. So I'm I'm curious, just mm-hmm. like, and I don't, don't know if there's an answer to this question, but just kind of interested in what you think about it. Why is opera so mm-hmm. comfortable with gender fluidity and and men having these beautiful voices that in any other sort of realm would kind mm-hmm. of be associated with a woman and and and, mm-hmm. and trouser roles where women mm-hmm. are playing the roles of men why why is that so sort of easily embraced in in opera but not in, in <laughs> the rest genres. of the world. Uh, yeah. Like what, what makes question. it sort of open to I think with that. that, and this is just my opinion, so this is not a fact. Yeah. Um, but I think that opera has remained gender fluid, if you want to call it that, because singers sing where they need to sing. Singers' voices are appropriate yeah. where their voices are appropriate. I could not sing... 
a tenor role. I could not sing Radames mm. in Aida. You know, I yeah. could not sing those roles. I'd love to sing Aida, but I knew I will never do it in my life. But I mean, I mean, you just did not do that. Uh, yeah. They just don't have it. So there were specific roles written for the countertenor voice mm-hmm. back in in the 1600s to 750, and still roles that are being written now. Yeah. There are a lot of composers who have found that. And believe that the countertenor voice is a viable one. And I agree with them. Anytime I mm-hmm. meet a composer today, I always tell them, and are you writing for countertenors? Do you include them in your music? I think that you should. If you're a, can- if you're a composer and you're composing in the 21st century, you must write for all voices. So, um, But I, I think that opera has remained that way because it's you, you just sing or sing where, they are, where their voices need to be. Mm. And... Opera houses and opera directors know that. There yeah. are a lot of mezzo-sopranos who sing the role of Julius Caesar. Uh, um, Sarah Connolly is one who I think is probably one of the most convincing Julius Caesars I've, I've ever seen and looks like a man as she's singing it. Uh-huh. It's just amazing to watch watch that. And a, a great friend of mine, too, Alice Coote, who sings Sesto, which is the role of the boy, mm-hmm. uh, the young boy in, in Julius Caesar, has sung tra- trouser roles. Um, just because they're necessary sometimes. And sometimes there are countertenors who don't sing those roles. Huh. Um, because the art asks for it and the person is able to deliver exa- it. Essentially exactly. They're asking, what... can you sing this role? And they, they know their voices, you know, or yeah. I'm sure they consult their managers or their teachers and say, do you think this role is appropriate? Right. And they'll sing it. Well, and I realized too, when I, when I asked that question, mm-hmm. I don't really know a lot about the opera world. And uh-huh. so I just sort of assumed that mm-hmm. there's no prejudice, that everybody's super cool with everything. Yeah. And um, because I, I, you know, have been studying what you, you sent me to prepare for this episode. And uh-huh. because I uh, have friends who are opera singers mm-hmm. who, who have done trouser roles and things yes. like that. And so I just assume like everybody must be cool with this. But do mm-hmm. you, as a countertenor, mm-hmm. have you... Have you had any issues? Like, no, like, I've never had any issues. This is good. I've never had any. I, I am also a person who believes that if I don't get something, that it's not because someone doesn't like me. It's because it wasn't intended for me. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, there may be things that exist that I don't know about, but I don't, I don't think about that. I always am thinking about what's the next move. How do I go forward? How can I rise above and get mm. where I want to be? My goal is to always be the best John Holiday that I can be. And yeah. I don't ever worry about anybody else. It's their career. And I'm always ecstatic for them when they have things. Right. And then when I get my own, I'm even more thrilled. Well, I'm glad that you haven't personally experienced mm-hmm. any sort of voice discrimination. Yes. But, but I'm wondering if any exists in a sort of backdoor kind of way like like will are there are there people who who won't compose for Ah, for that voice or Uh or i don't know no no no. i think it's a great question because it's just like there are a lot of opera singers too i think who some they just don't i shouldn't say they don't like the countertone of voice but some that have not found the countertone of voice that they find lovely gotcha um okay but there are a lot of composers who don't compose. I don't know them personally, but I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are composers who don't like the voice. Uh, but we're lucky that we have composers today who are doing who are doing yeah. that. Philip Glass has done some amazing work really? um, with the, with the canon of voice uh, cool. that is just beautiful. 
uh, and Jonathan Dove, who's a British composer, is just amazing. So there's a lot of people out there who are doing things. That's fantastic. And you just, I think that as a as a as a voice type, we we tend to focus on the people who are doing rather than those right. who, who are not. So we just want to sing, you know. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, since we're on the subject of you, uh-huh. I am really curious how you found this voice. How did you? How did you? Did you just wake up one day and go, oh, I can do this really amazing, unique voice where you're just singing along with Adele and you were like, <laughs> oh, I got that. Like, <laughs> oh, Adele. She seems to be everybody's favorite these days. She's, um, she's kind of awesome. I know she's awesome. Yeah. Everybody just loves her. I have sung since I was two years old. My grandmother and my mother have told me stories that or they would sit me on top of the piano and I would sing, or they would stand me on top of a table and I would sing. So I'm sure, like a like many other opera singers, that I probably started to sing before I spoke. Yeah. I want to believe that. That's my, <laughs> that's what I want to believe. But I've been singing since I was two years old in church mm-hmm. and have adored it. I mean, I have chills talking about it. I really, singing is such a joy to me. Yeah. It brings me such peace. And for me, growing up, it was a lot of my sanctuary because as a kid, I was made fun of for singing in school, never in church. And because I sang so much as a little boy, when I got into the sixth grade, when I had the option of being in choir or band, I chose to be in band. So I, I played the, uh, the, ten, no, the alto saxophone in sixth and seventh grade, then switched to the tenor saxophone in the eighth grade all the way up through high school and was a drum major at my high school. Uh, But when I got into high school, I was a part of the choir Mm -hmm. and I sang as a soprano in choir. Really? Now, I did not know then that I was a countertenor. I just thought I'm singing with the sopranos in choir. But I've always sung high. And so when I went to college, I went to college as a tenor. Mm -hmm. And... I remember talking to my teacher. Her, her name is Barbara Hillmore. She's one of the most amazing women that you'll ever meet. A diva in every sense of the word. A great person um, who everyone should know. And when I told her, I said, I call her prof. I said, prof, I said, but I can sing really high. I said, I promise you, I can sing really high. <laughs> and at that time, my friend Tiffany was singing the role of Gilda, or just singing an aria of Gilda from Rigoletto. Mm-hmm. And the aria is Caro Nome. And I just remember singing, you know, the aria, making up words, because I still don't know all the words, but I, <laughs> but I would sing it. And I said, this, I can sing it. Let me hear, let me hear this. Yeah. And she said, Oh, John, you're just going to be screaming up there. Do you? Are you sure you want to try this? And I said, <laughs> I just want you to hear me sing this really quickly. And so I sang it, and she said, oh, you are what we call a countertenor. Oh, so that was the moment. And that where... was the moment where it happened. It was, my, okay. it was the beginning of my sophomore year or the end of my freshman year, one of the two. Wow. Um, and since that moment, I have been a countertenor. And I remember the conversation with Prof. She said, now listen. She called me John T. She said, <laughs> if you're going to be a countertenor, you're going to be a countertenor. You're not going to switch back and forth. Huh. I want you to be strong, and I want you to be the best countertenor that you can be. No one else. Mm. She said, I want you to emulate anyone else. I want you to be the best countertenor that you can be. Mm. And from that instant, I developed that idea that I didn't want to sound like anyone else. Right. I wanted to sound like me. Yeah. And so I think to this day, no one that I can think of do, do I don't share a similar sound to anyone. It's mm-hmm. just my my sound. I love it. Um, and I I like that. I love it. 
I think that's fantastic. That is a really inspiring story. And I think we're going to have to hear before we wrap this conversation up, a recording of you. Okay. <laughs> You're I like, think... okay, if we must. <laughs> if, if we must hear one. Um, there is uh, the aria uh, Cru de Furie degli Orri di Abissi from Cersei. Well, uh, oh, it, it, it is a mouthful. <laughs> I did that in competition uh, for Dallas Opera in 2011, and I won first place. And was the first countertenor to have ever won that award at yeah. Dallas Opera. And then I did it in 2014 in Operalia, which is a competition that Placido Domingo has. And it's what we call the Olympics of Opera. Because even though even the Metropolitan Opera has a phenomenal uh, competition, which has done such great mm-hmm. things and has thrust people into stardom, uh, but it's particularly for singers who are from the United States. Placido's competition is for singers from around the world. Mm. And so I was in a competition with singers from Russia, from Paris, all over the world. And so it was such a great experience for me. And there I won third place. so powerful at such a high range. That's just so amazing. I sing a lot higher than a lot of countertenors do. I, I think of myself oftentimes as a sopranist, hmm. but I don't say that because there's oftentimes a stigma that exists when you say you're a sopranist. They will ask you, oh, well, if you're a sopranist, you can sing this, and if you're a sopranist, you can sing that. <laughs> and so I would just say I'm a countertenor, but I do know myself that my voice sits higher than most other countertenors, hmm. and I love that. John, I hate to stop our conversation. This has been so cool. Uh, you've taught me so much today. I Thank hope so. you. I, I like to do this. This is fun. And you drove through horrible traffic to get here. Anything, so. anything, just for you. <laughs> just for me. Well, John Holiday, thank you for being on the Classical Classroom and teaching me all of these great things. And um, I'm going to post the video to your Skyline session in the web article for this episode. So listeners, make sure and go and check out John singing. All right, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to houstonpublicmedia.org slash classroom. You can follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, SoundCloud, and now Snapchat. Find us there at C Classroom Show. You can also subscribe to us, rate us, and review us on iTunes, and frankly, you should. You can email me at dclay at houstonpublicmedia.org. Thanks today to audio producer Todd Trimelo-Holslander for twiddling knobs. Thanks to editor Mark DeClaudio for his piercing prima donna eyes. Thanks to John Holiday for being here today. Thanks to me for saying words. <laughs> but most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>